today uh, on what feels like probably day 1000 of uh, staying at home and working from home. Uh, there have no doubt been some big shifts in how your company is getting things done. Um, while the work may look different and the priorities might have shifted dramatically in recent months, we can pretty much always rely on one thing staying constant, uh, and that's businesses want to get paid, and the sooner the better. I'm Scott Leahy, and this is Esker on Air. Uh, today, I'm joined by Diana Egan, our Director of Order to Cash Sales, and Joseph Dwarak, our Procure to Pay Sales Manager. Uh, so, Diana, Joseph, uh, I understand you've been interviewing CIOs and CFOs in your customer base recently. What's their ap appetite for change right now? Um, what are they saying about improving working capital or innovation in general? With everything going on right now, is this really the right time for that? Hi, Scott. Um, I think there there is a strong appetite for change. I mean, the feeling is investing in solutions for innovation, um, whether it's automated workflow or processing orders or invoices electronically. I mean, AI platforms like ours have shifted for some companies really um, from what I'm hearing from what was perceived more as like a nice to have initiative to kind of a full on business imperative, right? I mean, in, in terms of innovation, I mean, the pandemic was the catalyst, right? It, it's been kind of the great disruptor to business as usual. And although a lot of companies have really rallied and pulled together through some tough change, you know, the gaps were exposed, <laughs> the seal was broken. So, you know, where existing resources and, and processes, uh, you know, were determined they just can't scale, right? Or maybe they couldn't even be done with people working from home. So from my perspective, from what I've been hearing, it's, it is becoming clearer and clearer that, you know, digital intelligence and, and other innovations to automate these back office process um, processes are just a, a very serious consideration now. Yeah. Hey, Scott. Thanks, Diana. I, I think, you know, I would agree. Uh, and I was just on the phone earlier today with a VP of IT of a, a billion dollar company uh, on the East Coast of the United States. And they were thinking about some automation uh, processes. And, you know, we, our, our job is to ask why, like, what's the catalyst, um, you know, with everything that's going on that Diana just mentioned, why would you do it now? Um, we don't want to assume, you know, and he just said, he and his team were like, it's been too long. You know, this has probably kind of pushed us over the edge. We're growing. Uh, we have to do something or we're just going to have to keep hiring people um, for non-value added work. And so, you know, it's interesting because we had that pause, Diana, last year where there was a month or two where everyone was kind of catching their breath and going, what do we do? What's going to happen? And, you know, from an escrow perspective, we were really busy connecting with leaders who were like, we're ready to roll. Like it's time. It's time to make it happen. Um, so I think you've seen a lot of that. And, you know, on the AP side of the house, hopefully not too many, but you're still seeing and hearing about people who, even if their office is closed because of COVID, they're still having to go in and print checks and do different AP work um, and route invoices, you know, um, in a in a very manual way. And, you know, in some ways, like a lot of folks don't want to go in the office right now and if they don't have to. And so there's things that are still happening that, I think are still even at this point forcing people to think about automation in a different way than they would have even a year ago, where maybe it was 
Uh, it's a strategic initiative, but we'll get to it. And now it's become more of that imperative piece. So yeah, I see a lot going on as well. Gotcha. Well, yeah, uh, Diana, what would you say are the most uh, basic steps businesses can take to better control that working capital? Well, in, in terms of levers, right, of financial management, um, you know, none have had more weight, right, than working capital. And all the, the changes, um, especially in the customers I work with and, and Joseph works with, I mean, these daily changes in receivables and inventory and payables, I mean, it, this is the lifeblood, right, of the business. And every financial leader I speak to needs to keep it moving and, and put capital to work as, as efficiently or, or rather effectively um, as they can. So, I, I would say to, you know, to take better control, you know, measuring and improving, right, their, their cash conversion is, is probably the biggest first leap. Um, getting a, a handle on, on DSO or, you know, uh, obviously measuring that average number of days that it takes the customer to pay their invoices. I mean, that's critical. Uh, you know, high numbers indicate slow payments, which is going to delay cash from hitting their account. So any goal they have and, and any anything they can do to lower their DSO is going to translate for that organization just into stronger cash and stronger cash flow. But um, I've noticed, especially, you know, over the last year that it's, it's, it's not limited to just billing, right? Um, you know, if these companies can get a handle on, on order entry errors, so it doesn't, you know, flow, you know, downstream into billing and then, and consequently, send out an inaccurate invoice, which you know ultimately is going to slow down when the customer pays you and and then that's going to slow down applying cash. So there's just there's a lot of things um, that a company can do to to take better control of both cash flow as well as working capital. But getting a, a handle on DSO is certainly one of them. I would also say, you know, terms, terms and conditions, uh, customer credit, those are all important things to evaluate. You know, it's generally accepted that uh, the DSO really should be within about 20%, right, of, of someone's payment terms. So for those who aren't, I mean, they've considered gradually maybe even reducing payment periods for their customers, or they're a bit more aggressive and offering early pay discounts. Um, and even really, if they had in the past charging small penalties, right, for late pay. So I would say that is something that they're doing. Um, additionally, on the credit side, uh, certainly staying on top of existing customer risk, right? Doing kind of ongoing credit reviews and, and thorough credit checks, right, in the application process uh, for new customers is important too. So you want to start off your relationship with the customer having the full story of, uh, of their payer history. I would say those things uh, are some basic steps that businesses can take to uh, better control working capital. Yeah, and, and Joseph, what would you say on the AP side? So it's interesting because Diane and I are talking about two sides of the same coin. And, you know, what we see a lot of businesses doing is they're trying to strike a balance between they want to continue to have good relationships with their suppliers. Um, and they're also trying to do things like the opposite of what Diana was talking about, which is extending payment terms and, uh, you know, not always caring about early paid discounts. Um, 
and so there's this push and pull of the accounts receivable side of the house, the accounts payable side of the house. Um, I think in the last nine months, we've seen a lot of that where they're trying to hold on to their money longer um, before paying. But then there is that balance of how do they not, how do they continue to have a good relationship with, with their supplier? So it's, it's interesting because I think on the AP side, it's, um, there's there it's not at, at war with itself would be the wrong way to say it but there is some of that that tension there and it really kind of depends on um, the CFO and the chief accounting officer how he or she wants to tackle that and kind of what their philosophy is there um, but we're seeing a different approaches to it and I think it's an important piece um, and I think we'll get into you know more specifically around you know like days payable outstanding um, coming up so I'll save some of it but that's a little bit of what we're seeing. Scott. Yeah. And um, what are some, I don't want to use the word easy here, but maybe quick or quicker ways uh, that companies can improve their DSO or their, their DPO? Question for both of you. Well, this is a, a quick and easy one on the, on the AR side or on the order to cash side. Um, you know, we're seeing this time and time again with, with the customers that we're working with that, You've got to automate the delivery of invoices. You've got to, you know, send automatic payment reminders, right? Those have to get out. Um, make it easier for customers to pay, you know, be easier to do business with, right? Um, have things like um, a direct link, right, in the invoice that's being sent out. Have it, have there be a link in it that directly takes them to a place to pay or an online payment portal, Give them multiple methods to pay, right? Not not just direct billing or or direct debit or ACH. You know, give them credit card if if your organization is set up to do so. Um, again, goes back to that, um, as I mentioned, just being easier to do business with, make it easy for the customer, and it certainly will impact uh, the DSO. Yeah. So on the on the other side, on the de- on reducing you know days payable outstanding. Um, one thing I was just talking to a company who is is thinking about automation in the accounts payable world recently, and what they had done in preparation for that process was they centralized all of accounts payable. So you know um, we like to talk about if someone wants to automate something and make things like DPO better, if they don't improve their processes, it's just like putting lipstick on a pig. It's not going to look much better. It's just going to be an automated process that's not that great. Um, so when I see companies who have centralized AP, maybe moved to a shared service model, have done some of the change management work ahead of time, that's like pre-automation and that sets um, automation projects up for success. So once they do get into a place where they're like, hey, we want to have more visibility of what's going on, if they've been completely manual, um, we want to be more efficient with things like approvals and workflows for approvals, you know, that can help them. Um, and, you know, if you want to pay your invoices faster, you have to approve invoices faster. So what does that process look like? Well, some billion dollar companies we're talking to still have people uh, sending paper files around for approval. You know, the, um, the slightly grown up version of that that's still not great is, oh, I'm going to email you an invoice. Well, that's fine. That's an electronic version of, you know, passing the invoices around, but then companies and controllers and people, they don't have visibility of where are those invoices right now? Whose desk are they sitting on or whose inbox are they in? And so once they get to that piece where that could all be done in a system um, and there's a system of record, well, that's better for compliance. Um, It it speeds it up. They can pay their invoices faster. Um, You know, even things as simple as 
can I approve an invoice on a mobile app? You know, that could, that could shave a week off of how long it used to sit in someone's email inbox of, you know, hey, we have a daily digest of, I have 10 invoices to approve. Um, let's do that through mobile. And it's interesting when we chat with customers about our mobile app and it's like a revolution. I think, you know, I don't know why it's not a revolution for every other process in the world right now, but for, for in the AP world, if they're completely paper and completely manual, you know, their DPL is probably not that great unless they have some incredible employees who are probably working overtime to make it happen. Um, so there's a lot of answers there, Scott, but I think part of it is they need to start with business process and how do they have a really good, you know, do the change management around centralizing the AP process and then look at um, automation because there's so many parts of automation that could speed that process up. But again, like I said earlier, if that's what their company philosophy is, if they really do want to lower that, um, and some do. So those are some thoughts around that. Right. So, uh, Diana, uh, suppliers and buyers are extending their payment terms, obviously. How do we know which customers to place our collections efforts on? Yes, Joseph said, Scott, I mean, these AP folks are holding on to their cash to the very last minute. They're holding on to it as long as they possibly can. And and then some, right, <laughs> in this market. And it, it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge for collections. You know, every company is going to have its own set process and collections prioritization. I mean, sometimes that's driven by their particular industry. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, simply by total amount past due or oldest open invoices, or maybe their named account and importance to their business. But what what's important, though, is that the efforts in collecting that cash need to be consistent, right? I mean, for example, I know when our customers, right, use our collections automation, um, they take their current strategies, right? They put that into the tool and then let the solution take it from there, right? Prepare and prioritize who to call and when to call and how often to call um, and put that in a way for their collectors. So when they come in in the morning, they don't have to spend all that time, which is like usually like 30% of their day and trying to figure that out. They can just come in and have that prioritized for them um, and which customers that they should put their collection efforts towards. So, yeah, it's it's not an easy thing. It's an art, but when you ha- when you know when you have some tools like that to help, it certainly uh, it certainly helps uh, be a bit more effective from the collector's perspective. Yeah, and in that uh, kind of same vein here, uh, what can they do on the front end uh, when the order is received to improve working capital and then maybe even drive up some sales revenue as well? Yeah, I, I would say, Scott, that um, anything that they can do to kind of automate or, or validate all those line items right on orders to ensure that, you know, those item numbers and, and quantities are all accurate. So when they, you know, when they don't get entered correctly, right, then it's going to begin this whole downstream effect that it's going to then, uh, you know, produce an incorrect invoice, and then you're going to need to credit or rebill. I I mean, if you can get that done correctly on the front end, it's going to save a lot of time. Also, you know, automatically flagging duplicates, right? Preventing the same types of issues. If you can avoid those duplicates, you can avoid all the issues downstream. Also, I mean, just take away 
much of that administrative work, right? I mean, customer service reps these days, you know, they don't want to be admins necessarily. They don't want to just be keen in orders. Um, they were hired for the most part, you know, to service the customer and provide value. So, so from a, a customer service rep standpoint, if they can actually focus on customer experience and less on keen in orders, um, they're going to be able to be more proactive um, and they're going to be able to get more done. I mean, we've even seen many customers actually reallocate those uh, customer service reps into functions like, um, you know, inside sales and those types of functions, uh, proactively reaching out to their their customers. So if we can get rid of some of those human errors and some of the mistakes that happen, you know, incorrect tax and all these types of things that happen when orders are processed, it's going to save a heck of a lot of time downstream. Yeah, and, and, and Joseph, back to you here. Uh, in the very beginning of this pandemic, you know, way back when, uh, Gartner said industry was frozen, kind of like a deer in the headlights, and uh, innovation projects were, were stalled or canceled. Do you find that's still the case? Uh, how do we deploy projects with, you know, in a lot of cases, 100% of stakeholders still at home? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we definitely felt that where um, in March and April, there was that pause. Um, and it was like once people kind of, there was a shift and even at Esker, we we had shifted our entire company um, for those who are working, Scott, as you know, is um, from in the office to at home if people who weren't remote. And so we did that. I think we did it in a day or two and everyone was kind of surprised at how seamless it was. And I really wasn't. I thought, no, I'm like, I, I'm actually not, I'm not surprised how seamless it was. But even in that, no matter how, how fast companies did that, it took them a while to catch their breath and to go, what is this new normal of all working from home? Um, so there was a lot of pauses, but then it really picked back up and we got quite busy um, in the third quarter and fourth quarter of last year where there was some pent up demand and many people were doing it. Certainly there were some projects who were paused and maybe those will get picked back up this year, but there was a lot happening last year where it was like, now we need to do it. So if you had a, an AP department that was completely manual and they had no visibility in their invoices, uh, and then COVID hit and everyone's working from home. Some of them were completely up the creek, like they couldn't do AP. And so they they had they had an imperative to get a project going quickly. We had some of that. Um, companies that were already investing in innovation, once they figured out what the new normal was, they hit the, they hit the go button uh, right away. But you touched on one other thing in that question and you said, you know, what was it like deploying projects? Well, we had asked her, we had never, and Diana, correct me if I'm wrong, but we had never deployed projects completely remotely without being on site before the pandemic. Is that right, Diana? Really just for maybe smaller organizations. Yeah, but for the most part, for large enterprises, you're absolutely correct. Right, so that was the shift for us. And I remember, I think Varix Imaging, one of the clients um, we worked with last year, uh, they were one of the first that we did everything completely remote and kind of like our Esker employees moving from the office to home, it was seamless and they were live and everyone pulled their weight and it went really well. And then what was nice, Scott, was to be able to tell that story because now, you know, for the last whatever nine months now or however long it's been, uh, we've been deploying all of our projects remotely. And so, you know, kudos to our professional service teams, which I think is clearly a strength of Esker is they made that shift seem very, very seamless. And there were leaders who were asking us, you know, have you guys delivered things remotely? And you know, 
we'd have to say like, well, we just did it and now we've done it. So I think it's, that's created a fundamental shift and, you know, like there's less time for travel for projects teams. There's all kinds of um, ways that's playing out, but um, the sense that I get, and I can't remember which report I was reading recently is that um, in the corporate world in the United States, at least um, it budgets are getting more money this year for that continued flow of, you know, transformation projects. So I think, um, while there was a slight pause, I think now it's actually the pace has picked up and it's going to continue to go faster um, over the next uh, few years. Actually, I don't I don't see when it's I don't see how it would slow down again, barring something really big like COVID or or something like that. But even in that, you know, we've learned to kind of work with the hand that we were dealt and being totally remote. Um, so, you know, from a from my chair, it's a really exciting time um, to be working with uh, potential customers around you know, digital transformation and automation. It's just, it's really an exciting time. Yeah, it's definitely a different world we're dealing with today than when everything first started way back when. Um, well, I, that's all the questions that I have for you two. Is there anything else you'd, you'd like to add before we wrap up here? No, I don't, I don't have anything. Just that I think, you know, for me, the, the trend really is, is kind of two things I'm hearing. And that's simply, you know, cash is as serious of a priority as it's ever been, right, to companies. I mean, these are, as we've all been talking about, right, these are unprecedented times. And so anything they can do just to, to maximize, right, their cash flow is just so imperative to these folks that we're talking to. Um, we have this window for many of these companies um, you know, some of these very large ERP projects and ERP upgrades have been paused a bit, but there's this window of opportunity for companies um, from the leaders that we're talking to, and that's that's kind of opened some resources up a bit for IT to handle these types of projects, right? These very specific business process improvement projects, and so I, I would say that's the kind of the takeaway from some of this questioning today, Scott, and that's, you know, this isn't a huge undertaking, right? For for this type of transformation, these types of, you know, interest in automation. These, these aren't one, two year types of projects. These are, you know, four to eight week projects. And, uh, and a lot of leaders are very interested in engaging that these days. Well, yeah, and to, to Diana's point, you know, a conversation I was having earlier today, uh, new vice president of information technology. Um, they have a, an ERP project that they're looking at. They know it will take two years, as Diana mentioned, and they're like, "We need automation now. Like, we need to we need to get on this now. We don't want to wait." Uh, so, yeah, I just echo that because that we're seeing that. And and you know, in our business, we joke sometimes like it's always the ERP. Like, you have to ask the ERP question. Um, have they, do they have something they're satisfied with and they're in a good state or are they moving to something? Are they going to have multiple ERPs? You know, if they're going through acquisitions, that's always a question we ask. Um, but if there is that window that Diana mentioned, I think there are leaders who are, I agree, there's leaders that are jumping on um, making something happen uh, sooner than later. Well, great. Uh, thank you both so much for, for sharing your expertise here today. Uh, as always, thank you to our listeners for joining us during this uh interesting time. Uh, If you're looking for more information on how digital transformation can help uh, optimize working capital, uh, you can find us at esker.com. 
Uh, otherwise, in the meantime, uh, stay safe and we'll see you next time.